All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. The circumstances surrounding the book of Nehemiah and this verse in particular that we're going to look at this morning, verses, we're going to look at two of them and then get right into the message. But Nehemiah was burdened because his uh, city, Jerusalem, the walls had been torn down. And to make a long story short, God called him to go and rebuild the walls, and so he did so. He brought the people together. Uh, they, in fact, I was just reading through this in my devotions here just recently, where they, uh, they had a, a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Because of the opposition, they didn't, the enemy did not want the wall to be rebuilt, but they rebuilt the wall. And in uh, uh, chapter 8, we find that uh, Ezra comes on the scene and, and uh, he opens up the book of the law and begins to preach to them and to read the law. And that's where we come in in verse 9. Let's all stand together, if you would, please. And in verse 9 of Nehemiah chapter, chapter 8, it says, In Nehemiah, which is the, the, the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. Let's read the last part of that verse out loud together in unison. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. One more time. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, it's good to be here with your people this morning. And Father, it's, it's good to have that joy of the Lord down deep inside. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior and you forgive us of all our sins and give us eternal life. And that eternal life begins at the moment that we believe on Christ and trust you as Savior. Father, uh, you also give us a potential. You give us something on the inside. And I, rem I remember it the night I got saved. I had joy like I'd never had bef before because my sins were forgiven. Because I had the promise of heaven. And, uh, and I, re I remember that joy lasting for day after day after day. Uh, excited to tell other people about what I had found in believing on and trusting in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would uh, watch over this message this morning and superintend it. I ask God that you, you might have your will and way with the things that I say and the things that I think. Uh, Father, uh, I don't want anything that I say to get in the way of the work that, that uh, you intend to do this morning. Father, may our hearts be open, and, and God, as you speak to us this morning, I pray that we would respond. There may be someone here, whether it be here in the, in the sanctuary or whether it be at home, uh, watching online. There could be someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They might not know for sure that if they died, they go to heaven. They can't look back to a day where they realize that they were a sinner on their way to hell. 
They cried out to you for mercy, and they did not trust their baptism, their church membership, their good works. Nothing in their life did they trust, but they trusted thoroughly and totally the work of, of Jesus Christ on the cross, your death, your burial, and your resurrection for their sins. Father, I pray that, uh, that today would be the day that they would come to know you as, as their personal Savior so that they can get that joy that we'll be talking about this morning. Father, have your will and way, and we give this message to you and ask you to do a work in our hearts that only you can do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The, the phrase that I really want to emphasize and park on for a while this morning is the joy of the Lord is your strength. What God's talking about here is strengthening joy. And the amount of strength I have is determined by how much joy I have in Jesus Christ. When I have much joy, I'm strong. When I have little joy, I'm weak. And, and little joy means little strength. Uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, it says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I think it's safe to say that since March, we've had a, a lot of different forms and shapes and sizes of adversity. This COVID thing has thrown people for a loop, and I understand it's thrown me for a loop in a lot of ways. Uh, still adjusting. Uh, in fact, I, I uh, went somewhere here just this week, and I can't, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think it was the post office. And I, I, I got out, and I got halfway to the, to the door and realized, man, you don't have your mask. And so I went back and put the, put the face shield on and then went back up. I don't ever want to get used to that thing. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. But, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear it and I'm going to do what I'm, what I'm asked to do as, as far as keeping things safe and so forth. <laughs> but but I, don't, I, I hate this term, the new normal. I can't stand it. I don't, I don't want this to be. This, there's nothing normal about what we're doing right now. And uh, so uh, uh, there's all kinds of things that we've had to, to adjust with. I said this right, you know, right in the very beginning, I said it in, in March, that uh, we will be tested, and we have been tested. And uh, the thing that has been tested, and I didn't really think of this until here just recently, but the thing that really has been tested is how much joy of the Lord we have and how strong we really are. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go with me over to uh, Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12. Look down, <clears throat> look down, and I, I never noticed this verse before until just recently. Nehemiah 12, look down in verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. That tells you how powerful joy in a Christian's life is. It's a, it's a powerful testimony. I don't know if you've been paying attention, I'm sure you have, but uh, folks today, over these last few months, have not been happy overall. Amen? I mean, really, they kind of, you know, you look at them in their cars and they're grumbling and grumping and you watch them going down the streets. It's hard to find a smiling face. 
But if you have the joy of the Lord and it's strong in your life, you are not only going to stick out, but you're going to be a testimony for the Lord that gives you that joy. And it's, it's important for us to be that kind of testimony. The joy of the Lord is, is, like, is like no other. Uh, over in, in uh, Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is a prayer that David prayed when he was approached by Nathan the prophet and his sin was exposed and he, he, he admitted immediately that he had sinned before God. Well, after that, he prayed and he prayed to the Lord. And one of the things he, he said to God was he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, you can't lose your salvation because your salvation is eternal life. When, when you trust Christ as Savior, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that ye have eternal life. Well, if, if I have it, that means it's a present possession. If it's eternal, then there's nothing that can break it, nothing that can sever it. But though you can't lose your salvation once you trust Christ as Savior, you most certainly can lose your joy. And when David sinned, and, and committed adultery and then also engineered the death of, of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, uh, that, that joy was gone. And he recognized that in his, in his prayer of restoration. And he said, Re, uh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Um, the, the joy that God gives can, can remain a constant. Though, though people might change, though circumstances might change, though troubles might come, though trials may come, uh, you can have that joy of the Lord on the inside that not only continues and remains during those times, but strengthens you during those times and, and allows you to get through those, those things, those difficulties, those trials, those, those uh, uh, t temptations and, and, and problems and troubles that we have, it allows us to get through them and, and do so on, and end up on the victory side on the other side. In other words, it doesn't have to, those things don't have to toss you to and fro and uh, like, a, like a, 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 a stiff wind, doesn't have to do that if you have the joy of the Lord. And, and realize this, and we really need to get, kind of get this down in our hearts. Nobody really takes your joy. Your joy is not determined by people. It's not determined by circumstances. It's not determined by things and things that work versus things that don't work. Uh, you know, it's not determined by those things. It, if, so if, if I lose my joy, what have I done? I've given it up. It's my responses and my reactions that have caused me to lose my joy. Um, illustration of this. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus was trying to make this point to the disciples. They came back from an evangelistic crusade, and they were all excited and all happy, and he was glad that they were happy. But they were rejoicing over the wrong thing. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 down through 20. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. 
It says, uh, and the 70 returned again with joy. It sent 70 of them out and uh, it's saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as, as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Man, that's exciting. That's something to get thrilled about. But notice what he says in verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Listen, if you are saved... If you are saved, no matter what comes your way in the Christian life, your salvation is permanent. Your salvation is forever. That does not sway. That does not waver. So because of that, if you put your joy in the fact that Jesus Christ saved your soul, there's nothing that can touch that. And, and that's why he said, he said, listen, don't put don't put your, your, your joy, don't put your heart into things that can change. Did they always cast out devils? No. Were, were uh, things always subject to their power? No. And so uh, what he was telling them was, listen, keep, keep your, your joy in that which never changes, which, in that which never, never varies. Uh, and, and, of course, the thing that never varies is, is the joy of the Lord. Go with me over to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking for the last time to the, to the church at Ephesus and to the elders in particular at, 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 at Ephesus, the leaders. And in verses 22 through 24... He says this, and now behold, I, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, listen, I know that where I'm going, I've already been told that I'm going to be bound. I've already been told that there's going to be trials. I've already been told that uh, there's, there's things that are going to oppose me. But he said this, he, he, said, he said, I'm going to finish my course with joy. And that, that hinged on two things that he believed. First of all, he was, he was determined not to let things move him. He said, nothing is going to move me. Circumstances aren't going to move him. Troubles aren't going to... And again, he knew the trouble was coming. He knew the persecution was coming. But he said, those things are not going to move me. They may have bothered him. I'm sure, I'm sure he uh, you know, was, was concerned about what could happen. I understand that. But, but not enough to alter his course. He had he made a determination. He said, no matter what comes my way, I am going to stand firm. And I am going to finish what God has, has set uh, for a course for my life. What, what the key is there is that he said, I'm not going to trust in things that change. Listen, one of the things I, I have seen over the years. I've watched it. 
I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in others. People put their joy and they put their trust and they put their faith in people. You know what the problem with that is? We're a bunch of sinners. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you're serving God. I don't care how good you are. You are a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner just like me. <laughs> we are. We are. And you know what we're given to? We're given to change. You know, one of the things, there's a couple of things that I, I told God years ago, and I'm really reinforcing them now in my latter years. One of them is, God, I want to die with my boots on. Uh, I, I, you know, I believe when God called me into the ministry, he called me into the ministry for life. It wasn't for just a short period of time or even an elongated period of time. It was for life. But, but, uh, but secondly, I, t I told God, I don't want to change. I, if, in fact, if I change at all, I want to get better. I don't get worse. I, I, I see people in their old age getting grumpy, getting nasty, getting gnarly. Of course, nobody here. But uh, <laughs> I, really, I really haven't seen it much here. Uh, but, uh, but, but people just do that. Why? Because people change. That's my desire, but who knows? You know? Um, you know, I, I've... I've, I've I've been with people at the end of life, and uh, I've seen folks that have been overtaken by, by conditions and, and medical situations, and sometimes, sometimes they change, and not by their own, own free will. I understand all that. But, but here's what I found, and this is what Paul was saying. He's saying, listen, if I trust in people, they're going to disappoint me. Why? Because they change. If I trust in circumstances, you ever, you ever had your hopes up that a certain event was going to take place and then, then just before the thing was to take place, the whole thing just fell apart. This COVID has done that to a bunch of circumstances and situations. Uh, you know, whenever you put your heart and your trust and your focus on things that change, you're heading for disaster. Uh, instead, he, he said, those things that might change, they will not move me. And, and when he said that, Apostle Paul was right smack dab in the center of the, of the will of God. And he knew it. He knew he was in the will of God. And the second thing that he said is that he, he said he didn't hold his life, or excuse me, count his life dear to him. He didn't count his life dear to him. Um, we should count others' lives dear to us, but not our life. He, you know, he, he, uh, he said over in the book of Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Uh, he wasn't trying to spare his life. He wasn't trying to, to uh, uh, get away from persecutions and difficulties and, and, uh, and, and testings and trials. He, he, because he did not hold his own life dear to him. He did not count his own life dear. He was expendable for Jesus Christ. And so what happened would happen. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Agabus, who was a prophet in the book of Acts, uh, came up to, to uh, Paul and told him that, uh, that he was going to be bound and go to Jerusalem. And he used a girdle to illustrate the binding. And Paul wasn't even flat by that. Now, I'm not convinced that Paul should have gone to Jerusalem. Uh, he was, you know, there's, there's evidence to the contrary in the book of Acts. But that aside, he, he said, look, you're not going to scare me. 
You're not going to scare me with, with, uh, with things. We've got a situation right now over in the state of California, and, and it's, uh, it's talked about. Uh, Brother Cloud has done a whole article about basically Californians at war with the churches right now. And uh, you know what I appreciate? I appreciate pastors that are over there that say, listen, we're not going to bend and we're not going to bow. We're not, you know, we're not going to move. Those things have changed, but we're not changing. Well, when you put your, when you put your faith in, in those things which do not change, you put your focus in that, you put your heart in those things, and you don't count your own life dear. You say, look, uh, what happens, happens. Uh, the Lord can take care of me. You know, I've said, I've said this, this verse over and over and over again. Safety is of the Lord. And that, that's true in these times of COVID. You know, you, you have the health that you have because of God. And quite frankly, if it's taken from us, it's taken from us because God allowed it to be taken from us. I don't like to see my friends getting COVID. I don't, I didn't, I didn't well, I, I say I didn't like to see Brother Andy King getting COVID. I actually did because he had a Fleet Farm bag over his head that his wife had made him wear around the house or something like that. He had a picture of it taken anyway when he had the COVID. But, but my, my point is this, is, is uh, we need to put our focus on things that don't change. And Paul said that he did not count his own life dear. He, he, he realized he had a purpose. His purpose for living was to, first of all, live for Jesus Christ. And second of all, to be a servant and be a, a blessing to others. And he was willing to go to whatever length necessary in order to do that. I challenge you to find anybody in the scriptures that had more joy than the Apostle Paul had. I mean, he had joy. You read the book of Philippians, and you, you, if you didn't know better, uh, and, and of course he, he talks about his imprisonment and so forth in, in the book of Philippians, but if you didn't know better, you'd think he was sunning, sunning himself out on a beach on some resort somewhere. Because, because he's just happy in the Lord. Now, in reality, where he was, he was in a dark, dank prison. And he was held captive, and he had chains on him. And he was, he was, he, he was looking to eventually die for Jesus Christ. But you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get that from his attitude. Because he didn't let the circumstances determine the joy that was in his heart. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to the book of John, John chapter 15. John 15 is the abiding in Christ chapter. And in John 15, Jesus is talking about, I am the vine and ye are the branches, uh, abide, abide in him. And then you go with me, go with me if you would down to verse 10. It says, if you keep my my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now again, it, it just points to the fact you can lose joy. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose joy. But he says, I want my joy to stay in you, and I want that joy to be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, it, it makes it very clear that joy can be lost and that you can have different levels of joy. You can have, you know, you can have fullness of joy or you could have less than fullness of joy. Now, there's two things 
that in this passage that it says affects our joy. Number one, verse 9 and 10 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I lo loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So the first thing he's talking about is our relationship with God, our relationship with the Lord. You know, I've had the privilege of, my wife and I both had the privilege of raising five children. And, and one of the things that, that I've, I've noticed over the years is that uh, when, when dad and mama aren't happy, uh, the kids aren't happy either. And the times that we were not happy was when they disobeyed us, when they, when they did things that were wrong. And they could just tell. Um, I've, I've watched it. I've watched it at the supper table where, uh, where something would be said about one of the children and my countenance would change. And immediately our, our eyes would lock. And you could, you could just see whatever joy that they had at that particular moment just went, just got sucked right out of them because dad was displeased. You know what? When my heavenly father is displeased with me, uh, I can't have joy. I can't have that fullness of joy because I'm, because I'm a, a disobedient child. I'm a disobedient son. Uh, obedience brings joy. Disobedience robs us of joy. Um, can you think back of what it was like the, the, the day or the night or the afternoon, whenever it happened to be, that you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You remember what it was like? I remember. I mean, I, 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 that, that event is indelibly and permanently etched upon my heart and mind. Uh, I walked in to First Bible Baptist Church of, of, uh, uh, of, of Greece, New York. I walked in with one attitude. I came out with a totally different one because I, during that two-hour session that we had with the preacher, uh, I finally bowed my head and trusted Christ as Savior, asked God to give me mercy, forgive me all my sins, and give me eternal life. I remember walking down the steps of that church, going out into the darkness, and there was no darkness as far as I was concerned. On the inside, there was nothing but light, and there was nothing but joy. And uh, I was so excited, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even fall asleep. I didn't go to sleep till 3 o'clock or later. Uh, that that morning, uh, just excited. I remember getting up that morning, and uh, and telling my parents about what had happened. I didn't exactly get the response that I thought that I would get. I thought they'd be a little bit more excited about it than they were, but uh, but nonetheless, uh, I I had I had joy that I had never experienced before in my whole life, and that's because my sins were forgiven. You know, I, 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 I trusted Christ as Savior, and he gave me eternal life. That's something that you always ought to be able to get excited about. I mean, if, if you can't get excited about your salvation, if you, if you can't get joyful over the fact of remembering when you trusted Christ as Savior and the changes that God has made in your life since then, honestly, I would, I would double-check. And make sure that you're saved. Because there's, there's a joy that's there because of salvation in Christ. And then, do you remember times when after you got saved, you got crosswise with God? And, and uh, 
it was brought to your attention either by an individual, it was brought to your attention through your Bible reading, it was brought to your attention through a circumstance, or it was brought to your attention at church. For me, the first, oh, I would say, I would say at least two months. For the first two months of, of uh, attending a Baptist church in Rochester after I got saved, uh, almost, if not every Sunday night, I ended up going down the, the, the aisle and, and praying and getting some things right with God. I was a brand new Christian. Every, you know, I had, I had transgressed in every area. So, so I had to constantly get that thing taken care of. I can remember, and I, to this day, I still remember it. I remember it when it, when it happens now. You know you're, con you're, you're crosswise with God. You know you're not doing what God wants you to do. And you decide, look, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to get this thing right in my life. And whether it be at an altar or whether it be at home or in your car or wherever it might be, you just simply cry out to God and say, God, would you please forgive me? Give me the strength not to do this again. I know I hurt you. Uh, I, I, I know that I'm wrong. Please forgive me. And you confess your sins. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You remember what you felt like after you did that? The burden's gone. You know, it's been lifted. I'll tell you what, there's been many a time at, at an old-fashioned altar and many a time at this one where I've gotten down on my face before God and confessed something and got right with God on something and walked away from that thing. Man, I felt different. Well, one of the things that, that, that happened is that joy started to flood back. And I had lost it. I lost that joy because, because of disobedience. So our relationship with the Lord is one thing, the absolute top thing that affects our joy. And secondly, is our, our relationship with others. Look down in verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. He, he, he constantly links relationship with, with him with relationship with others. And those two are, are very closely connected. You can't have the proper relationship with others if you first don't have a proper relationship with God. And our relationship with others makes a difference in our joy. A, a big thief, and I've, I've, again, I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in others' lives over the years. A big thief of joy in a person's life is unresolved conflicts with others. When you've got situations that have come up, and, and you just have not gotten those things resolved. Um, don't think that time heals all wounds. You know what it does oftentimes? It causes people to get bitter. Don't, don't pull this, well, I'll just sweep it under the rug uh, idea or philosophy. Uh, when, <laughs> I don't know about you, but whenever I sweep dirt under the rug after a couple of months, it starts to stink because it's not been taken care of. And that's the way it is with, with personal relationships. Uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't forget, I understand that, you know. Uh, people say, well, uh, you know, uh, you can forgive, but you can't forget. Well, that may be, but you know what I found? I've found that when I forgive someone, my forgetter starts to get kind of weak. And the, 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 the less I forgive, the more I remember. And the more I forgive, the less of the details that I remember. 
And uh, uh, you, you, you need to forgive folks so that God can continue to give you the, the kind of joy that he desires to give. Uh, a clear conscience always brings joy. When you've when you got a clear conscience before God, you've got a clear conscience before, before others. If you have conflicts with others, resolve them. I don't, you know, and the, the scripture makes this real clear. It makes no difference who's at fault. You say, well, well, they did such and such and so and so, and so it's their responsibility. Now I can prove you're wrong. Take your Bibles and turn with me into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, look in verses 23 and 24. It says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, giving is a form of worship. And so he's saying, before, before you, you, you go to worship, make sure you get some things right with your brother. Now, and again, in this particular case, it says that your brother has ought against you. He may be right, he may be wrong. And you know, you say, well, he has ought against me, but I've done nothing wrong. That's fine, but you still have a responsibility. And the reason why it's so important for you to fulfill that responsibility is because if you do not fulfill it, your joy will be affected. <laughs> and again, I've seen it just in my life alone so many times. When, when I refuse to address a situation and address it properly and address it rightly, but address it. And, and what he's saying here is, it says, listen, stop. Leave your gift at the altar. Now, don't take it off the altar. Don't take it home. But leave your gift at the altar. Go take care of that thing. That is of utmost importance. And one of the reasons why it's so important is because it affects our joy. Go with me over to Matthew 18. Here's another situation. Again, the, the first one was a person has ought against you. Again, it, it, may, it may be an unrighteous ought against you, but it's still against you. And if you're aware of it, then you have a responsibility, whether it's your fault or not. Over in uh, chapter 18, look with me uh, in verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, Thou hast gained thy brother. In other words, you, 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 you believe that someone has trespassed, has done you wrong in an area. So you go tell them about it. Don't just sit there and stew on it. Go tell them about it. Go try and get that thing resolved. But notice what it says. It says between you and him alone. There shouldn't be anyone standing around. There shouldn't, it shouldn't be in a public forum. It ought to be between you and that person alone. And by the way, the only person you talk to about it is the person that trespassed against you. It's not necessary for your whole family and all your friends and relatives to know about the situation. Take care of it. And, and, and in both of these cases, in one case, it may or may not be your, your, your fault. In the other case, it's certainly not your fault, 
but that they have done something wrong. Well, rather than just sit on that thing, go see them. And of course, the whole, the whole atmosphere, I suppose, or spirit of the thing, in verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. You don't want to make a scene. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And that's your desire. You want to gain him back. You're not going there with a chip on your shoulder. You're not going there, you know, trying to trying to just, just stick the brother because he stuck you. That's not the idea at all. Verse 16, but if you will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more than in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and again even in that situation it's not yeah well we're going to grab one uh, you know one or two more and uh, we're, we're going to get this thing taken care of I'll tell you what brother that's you know that's that's the wrong attitude to approach that thing and then the last one is if you neglect to hear them verse 17 tell it unto the church Boy, I, I hate for it to get down there. I've, I've had a, a handful of situations where I've either seen or had a part in uh, it going down to that third, third thing. And that, that ought to break your heart. That isn't something you ought to say, hot dog, you get to bring it before the church. No, 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 no. That, that's not the attitude at all. But this whole thing will affect your joy. And you know this. You've been saved for very long. If you've been saved for very long at all, you know that that uh, relationships, first of all, with God and relationships with one another makes a difference in, in the joy that we have. And sitting and stewing uh, never <laughs> over a situation or over individuals never, never increases our joy. It always affects it in a negative way. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1. 1 John chapter 1, look down in verses 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, again, fullness of joy comes from fellowship, and it comes from fellowship both with God and then secondly with others. Look down in verse, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It says if you walk in the light and you have a fellowship with God, then it, it says as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Fellowship with God will, will cause you and enable you to have fellowship with others. Those two are, are, are greatly connected. And if, as you go through 1 John, one of the things that, that John is writing for is that they might have joy in their life. Uh, joy is a, is, is a tremendous testimony. Um, over in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc. It's got nine, nine characteristics of the fruit. But it says love first and then joy a second. When you love God and when you love others, there will be joy in your life. And if the joy starts to diminish, you need to look at those two sources. You need to look at, at, at your relationship with God, and you need to look at your relationship with others. I want to close 
with an interesting um, illustration. Uh, I, have, I have read several things about the, the life of a fellow by the name of Billy Bray. Billy Bray was born in 1794, and he, uh, he was over in um, Cornwall, England. He was a wretch. Uh, as, as he grew up, he ended up being a drunkard. Uh, he was just an infidel. And uh, God saved him. And not only did God save him, but he uh, uh, ended up going into evangelism. He was known, he was probably a, a little bit more carried away with things than you and I would be comfortable with sometimes. But Billy Bray was a guy that he was known for his joy. He was known for it. And I, I found this, this uh, incident in his life right at the very end. It says that the, at the end of Billy Bray's life, the doctor was present at his bedside. And with little tact, he told Billy Bray that he was going to die. Billy Bray, considering his words only for a moment, responded, Glory! Glory be to God! I shall soon be in heaven! Then he asked the doctor a final question. When I get up there, shall I give them your compliments, doctor, and tell them you'll be coming soon, too? This really touched the hard-hearted doctor's heart. Even near death, Billy's joy was a powerful witness to the love of Christ. And, and everything I've ever read about Billy Bray, there was one word that has been attached to the testimony of his life, and that's the word joy. That's the way it ought to be. It ought to be that way, not only for Billy Bray, but for you and for me. And, and uh, he goes on to say, um, let's see, Billy's dying word was glory, yet, yet uh, right before he died, he said of death, what? Me fear death? Lost? Why, my Savior conquered death. If I was to go down to hell, I would shout, glory, Glory to my blessed Jesus until I made the bottomless pit ring again. And that miserable old Satan would say, Billy, Billy, this is no place for thee. Get thee back. Then up to heaven I should go, shouting glory, glory, praise the Lord. William Billy Bray, God's man with a shout, went on to be with the Lord and, and, and in the heavens and in and heavens other shouters uh, uh, on May 25th, 1868, he's buried at the Kearley Downs uh, Chapel in Cornwall, England. Uh, Billy Bray was known for his joy. Now, before he got saved, joy was not attached to that man's life and testimony. But after he got saved, people saw a difference. Here's my question for you. Do people see that in you? Did they see the joy of the Lord. It's important that they do, not only for them, but for you. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask God that you would help us to see this morning the importance of joy. And God, I'll be very honest with you there. And of course, you've seen it in my life. I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, Lord, uh, my joy many times has fluctuated. But it always fluctuates because either I have a controversy with you, I'm disobedient, or there's something wrong in my relationship with others. God, it is so important, it's so important for our testimony to have that joy of the Lord and to exhibit it. We are living in a world right now where people are worried, they're sad, they're angry, they're mad. 
Uh, there's one word, though, that, that really doesn't fit what's going on in this world right now, and that's the word joy. But God, they need to see people that have joy. And that's our responsibility. We need to be a, a walking advertisement for the joy of the Lord and the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us. I pray that you take this message and work in our hearts. And if there be, if there be any wicked way in us this, this morning, if there be anything that, that would cause our joy to be diminished, Lord, it's in our hands. It's not in the hands of others. Others don't determine our joy. Circumstances don't determine our joy. Our relationship with you and our relationship with others and our attitude toward life is what makes the difference. God, I pray that you bless this invitation, work in our hearts. God, may we respond to you and be obedient for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.